0: Greetings everyone. And thank you for joining, turning a moment into a movement. My name is Jay Love. And just to give you a little um, background about the movement, the movement was birthed when my son Gerard was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he didn't do. And um, it birthed this movement, turning a moment into a movement. And thank you again for joining us. Uh, We had a little break, but we're back. Um, I also want you to know that we're also on YouTube and um, we're on um, your local um, podcast platforms, Anchor, um, um, Apple, Spotify. So if you can't listen, you can, I mean, watch, you can always come back and listen. So thank you for joining us. We have a great show today, um, but before we get started, let me introduce you to our panel. Hi. <laughs> Welcome. Hi. To the- How are you today?
1: Oh, I am wonderful. Wonderful.
0: So introduce yourself and tell everybody what it is that you do.
1: Well, my name is Reverend Tia Littlejohn, and I have been ministering over at Transforming Love Community. Oh, for some time now, Um, I want to say more than 15 years. Uh, And now I am on the forefront of social justice in a couple of platforms, Um, definitely here with J Love and wanting to make sure that we educate the community about their rights and what they need to know and how we can improve as a community. I also am working with Flint and their reparations along with Commissioner uh, Bishop Jefferson. Mm -hmm. And so I'm excited to be here um, and to be a part of such a platform because it's needed in the community. And we need our lives. We need our children's lives. And as a mother with two boys that are now grown, uh, I still pray for them and for all the generations to follow. We have to make a change in the community and it's going to begin with us.
0: Yes, you're right. Thank you, Ravatiya. Greetings. Hey, At- hello,
2: how are you guys?
0: We're great. Introduce yourself.
3: Okay, my name is Edward Sanders. Uh, I go by the name of Baraka. Um, I am... Uh, a formerly incarcerated person um, in this state for 43 years. I'm a former juvenile um, lifer without parole. I'm a recent graduate as of um, December of um, 2020 I'm from the University of Michigan School of Social Work. Um, I'm presently uh, employed at the University of Michigan uh, School of Information and presently working on at least two projects dealing with. Uh, formerly incarcerated people, including uh, uh, um, juvenile lifers in terms of their oral history, as well as a project um, addressing the the divide um, in terms of the digital divide between um, individuals who are um, being released from prison without um, computer skills. Um, So we are taking in um, doing research and taking assists or find um, the gaps in them taking and being able to take and seek employment online. Um, When most of these individuals went to prison, um, they didn't have the means of taking and using computers to search for jobs. Now that is a significant part of job search. And so we wanna make sure that they are not marginalized by the absence of this um, technology. So we are doing appropriate research to take and find out what are the needs and I am contributing to that myself as a formerly incarcerated person. Um, here also, um, not just as a, um, a, a person that previously been incarcerated, but as a social worker and as a, um, a paralegal or legal assistant. So I would simply take and say as a forensic social worker. Mm-hmm. And thank you.
0: Thank you. Next, greetings, Trishay. <laughs>
4: Greetings. We're back. Oh, yes. <laughs> so my name is Trisha Duckworth. I am the executive director and founder of Survivor Speak. I'm a community activist, a change agent, and by profession, I'm a social worker. I'm just very happy to be here and to be on the front lines. You know, it's not easy work, but it's necessary. And when you're anointed to do it, you have the grace to move through it. And so I'm just grateful to be here with you all and to be uh, fighting alongside you all, all you wonderful folks today. And, hey, by the way, Edward, I love that sweatshirt.
3: You know, that shirt? You know where I got this shirt from? You put this shirt on me. <laughs>
0: Why? Well, you have to hang out with people like that, you know? <laughs> right. The cool kids. Y'all, the cool kids. So, our next <laughs> cool kid. Hi. Tony Hugo,
5: back. <laughs> well, How are you Our, our fearless leader. So okay. good to see you again. And 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 everybody on the Wolf of Panel, Trisha, Tia, you know, Brother Edward Sanders. And, you know, most people don't wear a hat inside the house, but you see I got my fedora on, right? Yeah. So for me, it's become part of my trademark. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Trisha remembers this from the campaign in the summer. I always had this black fedora. So it's, it's part of me. Hey, look, I'm Hugo Mack, primarily a criminal defense attorney. Um, at one time, uh, candidate for Washington County prosecuting attorney, interested in justice and fairness for all people because we got a responsibility. And to me, that God has given me the privilege of being in court, I take that with me everywhere I go because people's lives are on the line, you know? And we all have a role to play in this. You know, my role in my small lane is to challenge the system consistently. I'm not afraid to challenge the judge, the prosecutor, and certainly not the police, (laughs) okay? To, To ensure that they are doing the job they are supposed to do the way they are supposed to do it. So for me, you know, um, I take it from my brother Edward Sanders. You know, you know, I've I've got a new a new nickname for myself, Mac Street. Okay, so 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 so, that's, so so you see, so that's where. And so if you don't remember nothing about Hugo Mac, remember, I'm the only criminal defense attorney in Michigan that got office hours from nine p.m. to three a.m. Okay. So, so, so there we
3: go. Right
0: and, and so, Attorney Hugo Matt, while we were all people, were calling me to get in contact with you.
5: <laughs> well, y- yes, you know what, and I spoke to a sister from Lima, Ohio, um, about a situation on there, and aided as much assistance as I could. But much respect and love to the freedom fighters and people going for justice. You know, I'm in it to win it all
0: the way. Yes, sir. So today, um, we're coming back. Um, with a vengeance. First, before we get started, let me bring on our special guest.
6: Hello. Hello, everyone.
0: (laughs) Attorney Payne. Introduce you. Well, I'm going to let Tia introduce you because Tia introduced me to you. So, Rabbit Tia.
1: Oh, my goodness. I'm so excited and honored to have this pleasure to introduce to Everyone here, attorney Dorphine Payne, and she is a Notre Dame Law School graduate, has worked in kalamazoo County Prosecuting Prosecutor's Office early in her career. She's been doing this for over 30 years, I believe. Now I'm dating myself. <laughs> she has also experience working at IBM and was an administrator at three different universities. In 2016, Dorphine Payne was the first female and minority to run for prosecuting attorney office for Kalamazoo, Michigan. Her promise was to use 21st century model of prosecuting and criminal justice that would definitely save the lives of officers citizens and tax dollars she is a delightful mother a grandmother an auntie she has worn so many different roles she is also my second mama and so i present to probably i don't know maybe attorney mac might know of her but she is doing her work on behalf of the un the uh, underserved in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And that means that's a lot of black folks and we appreciate your service. Thank you so much. Attorney Payne.
6: Thank you, you, Tia. That's very kind.
0: (laughs) Attorney Payne, uh, thank you for joining us today. We want to talk about, um, um, surviving the police accounting, and understanding our rights. Uh-oh, hold on, you guys, before we get started. Hey, Ali. <laughs> Hi. Hey, how's it going? All right, I didn't want to get started without you introducing uh-huh. yourself.
2: Yes, my um, name is Alexandria with Mission Collaboration, Accountability for Dearborn,
0: and I'm happy to be here. Right. Great. So, Attorney Hugo Matt and Attorney Payne, if you guys can really talk about um, the police stop and understanding our rights.
6: Well, um, I I I don't know about you, Brother Mac, but um, it's more and more difficult to talk about uh, how to avoid being abused by the police these days because um, if you do all the right things, uh, you still can get in trouble, especially if you're a Black male or a Black female. Um, If you you pull over to a lighted area, if you uh, put your hands on the steering wheel when you're being pulled over by the police, if you're... Um, license is um, display on display. If you uh, are polite, uh, if you are, if you follow directions as best you can, if you do all the things that you're supposed to do, you can still get pepper sprayed and abused. Um, if you saw the video of that young man in Virginia, that is the The exact thing that you're supposed to do. and and he still got got abused by the police. Uh, I, it's so difficult, but you still have to do what you're supposed to do. You do have the right to remain silent when you're stopped, whether you're in a car, whether you're walking, uh, on the street, whether you're in your home, you always have the right to remain silent. And in Michigan, in all states, it's not true, but in Michigan, you don't even have to tell them your name if you don't want to. Um, uh, you have the right to, um, uh, and you don't have to tell people where you're going, why you're going, what you're doing. Uh, you don't have to tell police that. Um, you can, you can. The best thing that you can do. Uh, is very politely uh, uh, ask them, am I free to leave? That's the the best thing you can do when you're being stopped by the police. You realize that they can do, they they don't have the right to search you, but they can do what we call a terry pat down. Uh, And that is to assure that you're not carrying any weapons and, and assure that they're they're safe, but other than that, um, they don't have the right to search you without your consent. They don't have to whether you're in a car, in your home, uh, walking in the, on the street. Uh, they don't have the right to search you. They don't have without your consent. And one of the main things you need to understand: two things. One, shut up, and two, don't give consent. Do not give consent. Um, if they have a warrant, they can search. But if they don't, they don't have the right to do it. Um, I, I've had so many clients, and I know Brother Mac has too, where they don't they don't stop talking, and and I understand that because a lot of times when you stop by the police, the first thing you want to do is explain something, uh, or t- or to give some kind of um, logical explanation for why they shouldn't be stopping you, or what, what, or ask what's going, what's going on. Asking what's going on is appropriate, but offering information is not. Um, the other thing is, you, you know, don't be tricked by police. I had a client once who, um, who uh, the police came to his door and said, uh, we're just checking the neighborhood. Uh, we got some reports that uh, people in, in this area are uh, selling or have possession of selling heroin. He he, he said, well, and and we're just wondering if we can come in and check it, check it out. He let them in because he wasn't selling any heroin and he didn't have any possession of heroin. He did have possession of meth, uh, but he didn't have possession of heroin, so he let them in. Uh, that meth is still illegal. But that's what they do to get in your home. You can't. You can't uh, fall for the phone. You can't. You can't be tricked uh, like that. You have to just say no, um, unless they have a warrant. Attorney Matt?
5: Well, I agree with everything my sister said, you know, and I wanna say this, a lot of times, particularly in the civil rights movement, we talk about our constitutional rights. And, you know, last summer, in, in, in the aftermath of George Floyd, you know, I and a lot of people here took part in our constitutional right to peaceably assemble, to address the government and we understand the streets belong to the people. I, 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 I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but the streets belong to the people, you know. And our right to take to the streets must never be abridged, unless we're treasonous, of course, unless we're, we're criminalistic, harming people. But to go to the streets and profess grievances against the government is not only our right; it is our responsibility. But let me say this. The thing that I try to preach to all my clients, particularly my young black males, is that you can stand on all the constitution says this, that all you want. The first arbiter of your constitutional right is the policeman. It's not the judge, not the prosecutor, it's not the defense lawyer, it's the policeman. Because when they encounter you, they will make the initial determination as to what constitutional right you have or not. In Minneapolis, Minnesota, there was a policeman who made a determination that a man did not have a constitutional right to breathe and kneeled on that man's neck for about nine minutes and 30 seconds, okay? So the first thing I tell people is, do not assume that police are going to be the ones standing up for your constitutional rights. Miranda exists because the Supreme Court said they have to tell you you have a right to remain silent, all right, a right to counsel. There's no police union in the world that has ever said we are voluntarily stating we need to do that. So I tell people in terms of your constitutional rights, particularly my young black males, when you get encountered by the police, be aware of them, but your goal is not to confront and argue with the police. That is an argument you cannot win. The other thing I tell people, a lot of people have gotten that $1,400 check from the government. And I'm going to tell you this, I tell people all the time, the best investment you can make with that $1,400 if you don't have one already is a smartphone. Is a smartphone. Because I tell all of my people, the minute you are encountered by the police, turn that phone on. Turn that camera on, all right? Because that is going to be the, the template where people know they're being watched. Therefore, if they're being watched, You know, light is the greatest disinfectant there is, okay? Mm -hmm. So if they're being watched, they're going to be more cautious. So maybe the N-word is not going to slip out of their mouth, okay? And then another thing I tell people, there's a big move now around the nation for body cams. I tell my people all the time, when you stop by the police, turn that phone on and say, excuse me, officer, I have a respectful question. Is your body cam activated? Because I don't want there to be any confusion as to the contact between you and I. Okay, those body cams are supposed to be on, and a lot of times those body cams, and I see it case after case after case, mysteriously gets turned off. Mysteriously turned off, or a mysterious malfunction. Okay, police have a protocol before they go on duty they check that squad car, they check their weapons, and they check that body cam. All right, that's what it's supposed to do. So, in terms of controlling the police stop, you know, a calm and politeness is. the way through, even though, like my sister said, you can do everything right and still get tased, you know, or, or worse. But we make the problem exponentially worse when we get involved in a confrontation with the police. Oh, well, you better not do this, you better not do that, because you got to understand something. Contrary to what people believe, the most times when a police officer stops you, they are afraid. You know, and fr- frightful people can do terrible things, particularly with black males. What we've heard about black males and this, it, it's like it's like wanting to be able to shoot a, a dog before it can get at you. You got that presumption of confrontation, of, of viciousness, that systemic in our in police departments, us versus them. So I tell people to know that you might be afraid of that gun, but there's something in that mentality because of the color of your skin that makes them very, very, very afraid of you. So the other thing I want to say is that when we come to the the police and involvement, I tell people all the time, be on guard for not creating the situation at all. You know, some of our young black kids, we can't afford to ride around with open toxins in a motor vehicle, knowing it's there. We can't afford to have a bunch of marijuana in the car, knowing it's there. We can't afford to have the music played loud where other people may get a pass on that very same conduct. But we know that those are trigger mechanisms a lot of times for police for stopping. And above all else, please try to keep a driver's license that's up to date. Please try to have your license on your vehicle up to date because you're going to be an automatic target otherwise. Richie. That's my <laughs> input.
0: <laughs> I see you, Trisha. You got something. You know, I and I respect everything you all
4: said. It's so true, but I'm so sick of that. Why do I have to go? You know what really hurts my heart is to hear these conversations take place. With a parent and their 16 year old child who's about to, I mean, when you think about getting your driver's license, I was so excited. I mean, like my grandfather taught me how to drive. Mm-hmm. My grand, I mean, we all went to the Secretary of State together. It was like this big, huge thing. Now, I never got that talk, but there are so many people that do. Why take that joy away from a child? Why do we have to train our children how to survive a police encounter? Why? because they keep killing us. That's why, right? But it's the most disheartening thing. And it's like, even myself, I was just telling somebody the other day, when I get pulled over, I got my hands out the window or I'll cut my camera on first. And then if my camera's on, when the officer walks up, I'm saying, officer, I have my, I'm putting my hand out the window. I, here's my cell phone right here. Like I can find myself doing A, B, C, D, just fighting to stay alive, and I'm putting so much stress on myself, I might have a heart attack. It's just ridiculous what we have to continue to go through, but we have to take whatever measures we gotta take. And I think it was um, um, attorney pain, or as, as Tia Lee calls her mama pain, right? You, you know, you have to shut up. I ain't too good at that. <laughs> so I wanna know why. <laughs> Why are you pulling me over? Why are you stopping me? I have not done anything. Like so, you know. I think that's important just to be quiet. But it, it's it just gets hard sometimes. Yeah, I'm,
5: understandable. Yes,
2: yes. yes, yes. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> like yeah, we got you. All, you want to stay alive, but at the same time, I'm like, I'm not turning my music down. I'm not about to shut up. I'm not about to be silent and quiet. Like, I shouldn't have to act this way, act a certain way. Like, I just hate that. I don't know, I just really hate that. Um, I mean, of course, you know, your intuition and your senses and everything tell you in a time where something's about to happen, and you follow that. It's kind of what I, what I live by. But I just don't think, I don't think we should live in here and not live our life how we would like Um, because of the police. You know, clearly there is a problem. We know that, but in a way, I feel like by me just turning my music down and like not talking too loud and not asking any questions, I'm letting them win. And I can't do that. But,
1: yeah. Yeah. You know, I was... uh recently talking with um, Attorney Payne, I want her to share her experience because she just got back from Dubai and, and how it was over there. Um, And the reason why I asked this and bring this up is because in my own studies, um, while working on my doctorate, I've come across um, the Association of Psychiatry, you know, they don't want to deem racism as mental illness, you know, and there's been several papers written about it. And, and, um, and even, I did submit one, but my thing is if a person hates a person just because of how they are to the point where they're homicidal, uh, what is that's mental illness, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and you should not carry a gun and you should not drive a car, you know. And so, um, but in my research, it stated that that's an American problem. It's not a global, that's what they're saying. It's not a, that's just, that's just in America. Now, I kind of disagreed with that in the beginning until I spoke with Attorney Payne, so I want you to give us a little bit on that experience.
6: Well, our daughter is in Abu Dhabi, um, and um, uh, which is right next to Dubai. It's in the United Arab Emirates, and uh, we went. My husband and I got our vaccinations, and we were out of here because we hadn't seen our grandchildren for a long time, and. Uh, we went over and we stayed for about six weeks. And I will, I, I was sharing with Tia that uh, I was surprised uh, at how people are treated in other countries. Um, uh, I did a semester of law school in Europe and uh, black folks, I mean, we, we get treated differently sometimes and in, in, in everywhere, but nobody treats us like we're treated here. Um, in Abu Dhabi, we don't, we're respected, we're treated, you know, like everybody else. It's such a, it's, it's an international place where everybody is, except for about 30% of the people in, Abu, in United Arab Emirates, the rest of the country is uh, international. They're from all over the world. Uh, so my two grandchildren, who are 11 and 13, do not come home and talk about black and white. They come home and they talk refer people. They talk about people from different countries. Uh, they say, "Yeah, I made a friend today. She's from Pakistan. I made a friend today. They're from India, or from uh, Sudan, or from Egypt." Uh, they talk in terms of country, you know, like the Bible does. Uh, the Bible didn't talk about black and white. The Bible talked about Sadducees and Pharisees and people from different countries, um, and they didn't and they didn't discriminate as a color. Uh, that was made up here in this country. Um, so, so um, I noticed that. Police don't stop you in Abu Dhabi. You, they, if you, if you see a police pulling over a car there, it's because they're helping them. They're helping uh, change a tire or someone is in distress. I was, I was amazed. They actually protect and serve. I was amazed by that. I never saw anybody get arrested never the whole six weeks. And I was out and about. Um, people, people work things out because the expectation is that you respect one another, everybody. I don't care where you're from. You're expected to respect one another and you work things out. And you know what, when you're expected to do that, you do it um, because there are laws against disrespecting one another. So if I get out of my car because I'm in a fracas with someone because they, they drive crazy there, all of the traffic laws are suggestions. Uh, they, they pay no attention to stop signs. They, you know, yielding the right of way is unheard of. Uh, and sometimes they all come to the center of an intersection and they're all there together. And, you, and, and, and I was wondering, how you work that out? How do you, how are you gonna get, fix this? But you know what they do? And they don't get, if that happened in this country, there would be MFs, people would be out of their cars, they'd be fighting, they'd be calling each other a bunch of dirty names. They don't do that there because it's against the law. If I get out, if somebody gets out and calls me a nigger, they're going to jail. If I call them a dirty hunky, they're going to jail. I'm going to jail. So it's not it's not allowed there. You're expected to respect one another. And you know what? When that expectation is there, do you know what you do? You respect one another Be- because there are cameras everywhere and they'll come and get you. Um, they've had one murder in the last five years um, and that was with a knife. Some, you, some person from the U S went into the mall and stabbed <laughs> someone. Um, they, um, uh, they, uh, the police, and, and I saw kinds of accidents, but the people were so civilized. They were so civilized. And so when I, it took me a while when I saw police car to not tense up, you know, uh, My daughter said she drove there for a year and a half before she stopped tensing up uh, when she saw a police car coming her way. Um, Because that's the post-traumatic stress that we endure every day uh, living in this country. Um, the, The people were kind, no matter where I went, they were kind and they lived out what the expectations. I was so impressed with that. And, 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 and when I got back, we got back last Friday night and the first video I saw was that young man in Virginia being pulled over. I went into a depression. I, I was so upset, all I could do was cry. And then of course the next one was Duarte uh, Wright being killed in Minneapolis. And then it just has gone, it's been a snowball rolling down the side of a snow covered hill since I've been home all week. There have been mass killings. And I, this, we're, there's something wrong here. There's something very wrong here. And now I'm tensed back up again. <laughs> I'm, all, I, I'm not relaxed anymore. I'm tensed back up because it's, it's so difficult. Especially being black here, uh, it's not difficult being black there.
2: It's that's so powerful. I I, I can imagine yeah. you probably came back here just like, uh, look <laughs> no, like this is a whole nother planet. <laughs> I know. Yeah. How, I definitely did, and and you saying like how different it is in terms of black, white, and all that in other places, like that is such a. I was shaking my head because that is such an American thing you know, calling people black and white. That's something America does. Other countries do not do that. Like, um, we, we're we the country that has a census where we label Arab people as white. That's America. Uh, and that's been an issue they, you know, some of them disagree with. Um, and there—there there is deeper issues up under that where some do agree with that that are Arab. Um, but that's, that feeds more into um, white assimilation, having... Having it be some Arab members of that community who are trying to assimilate to whiteness for success, because that's what they associate with success, because that's the American thing. So, um, yeah, no, it's it's interesting. Um, policing is definitely different there, um, but it, it it's the same in some aspects. And I say that because I think of Nigeria and the Nsars movement, and um, just over the summer last summer, how um during protests like the military like just killed a bunch of people and that group is against police brutality you know same thing um you know we're fighting so in a way we're similar but we're different in many ways um i guess
4: yeah, Edward, you was laughing. What was you laughing about
3: back there? <laughs> I, I'm really appreciating uh, what uh, the Miss um, 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 Payne is that your how you pronounce your name, please. Yes, I'm I'm really appreciating and uh, uh, your sharing that experience. Um, I often when I think of the Middle East, I often think of the Palestinians and the Israelis' relationship. And I take and I'm puzzled why African-Americans don't realize that we have the same relationship with the American uh, uh, um, government and the public as uh, Palestinians have with, with, with Israelis. You know how easily we take and allow some of the luxuries that we have in this country in terms of, you know, um, our houses don't get blowed up unless you know you was a member of the move organization. Um, our cars don't get uh taken away from us unless um uh, somebody accused you of having drugs. Um, but our existence in general that of Palestinians and Israelis. Um, uh, Black Americans live in this country daily with their fourth amendment constitutional right being violated on a daily basis in this country, okay? The violation of that Fourth Amendment right costs this community, the African-American community, it costs us billions of dollars on a national scale. We pay billions of dollars as a result of coming in contact with law enforcement by way of them taking and violating our Fourth Amendment right, which is the right to take and be secure in our person and our effects. You know, they take and create the pretext to take and stop us while driving black. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, they normally take and give us a citation to justify what they did. And it was really not to justify what they did because really the citation is the justification because it generates money. If you can take, and document a small area like in Detroit, um, a little small area like Dearborn, that costs African-Americans millions of dollars to pass through there yearly. It costs African-American men and women millions of dollars when they represent only 4% of the population. When you can document that just passing through that little small area, that's just so big within the Detroit area. If you can do that in that area, imagine if you did the math across the United States. Then that million that is generated just in Dearborn is billions of dollars within the United States economy. So my statement, I took and made a statement earlier today on my Facebook page, and I said racism is profitable in America. And it's profitable by way of violating Black people's Fourth Amendment rights. The least harm that we experience is what I just described to you, which is citations. You know, they take money from us through those citations, but that's the least amount of money or the cost to our community. The greater cost is the emotional and the psychological harm and the death in our community and the false imprisonment. And the false imprisonment. The false imprisonment don't just simply come by taking and finding the pretext which is what they use when they violate your Fourth Amendment right, is a pretext to stop you, to search you, to question you, which leads to other information and pretext to take and charge you. You know, we generally attribute to Malcolm X the statement, by any means necessary. Well, our government does that. Our government takes and stops African Americans and interfere with our lives by any means necessary. That Fourth Amendment right is normally violated, and our state court and our Supreme Court constantly turn a blind eye to it. If we had any kind of decent judiciary in the United States, forget about all this oparticism stuff. If we had a decent judiciary in the United States, we would be hearing our justice screaming and saying that this is what's going on here. You know, we were able with the former Chief Justice of the United States, Thurgood Marshall. He's known for the large number of dissenting opinions. He took his time to write his dissents. We need to take and appreciate his dissents, even though he's no longer here. That's still part of the record. We can still appreciate, educate ourselves by listening to his dissent. We had one of the 11s, I believe it was, that was a, a Michigan Supreme Court justice. Who was known for his dissent on the court? We need to take a look at these dissenting opinions, even though they didn't represent the majority. Many times, they represent insight into what's going on in our society. That dissenting voice, that dissenting voice. We need to take and begin to take and recognize that law enforcement is not just about apprehending and interfering with people who are involved in crime. I can remember my grandmother telling me one day she kept, she was coming home from work on on the freeway. And she said a young white um, state trooper pulled her over and asked her, where did you get this car? She was driving a Marquis Broham in 1974 and it was a new Marquis Broham. But my grandmother worked it every day. And my grandfather worked it out at Ford Motor Company for over 47 years, I believe it was 47 years. He spent more time out in Ford Motor Company than I spent in Michigan prison and I spent 43 years in Michigan prison. My grandfather spent all those number of years and my grandmother took and told that young kid who was, who was old enough or young enough to be her child. She took and told him I work and my husband worked. But this is the attitude that they had towards black people. You know, like like like, like Tony or uh, uh, Matt took me mentioned. You know, they literally take and jump when they see us on the sidewalk. It's like a dance. You got to figure out whether they're gonna jump to the right of you or the left of you. These are the same people that pull the gun out on you. How could you feel comfortable with someone like that with a gun pointed at you? It's not comfortable, and it does create it does create effects on us. And it does take a unique mentality to act like that. It takes a unique mentality to think like that. And so we do. We need to take an order for some kind of uh, um, label or description of that type of behavior. And we need to take and acknowledge that it costs us money. We need to take and learn how to interfere with the economic system in this country if it want to continue business as usual. They are free to take and get millions of dollars in Dearborn for for housing, for HUD. But remember, that's federal dollars. Those federal dollars say that it's supposed to be spent in a way that's undiscriminated. (laughs) African Americans is is discriminated against passing through that city. We have to get creative and somehow take and say that if the police don't interfere with our lives and they get 43% or more of the budget in Dearborn, and, uh, and we know that some of that federal money from HUD is somehow going to wind up in their pocket. Somehow they're going to take and claim and justify some of that money to police, the property, and Dearborn. We need to take and find some legal creativity to start making noise and saying that we need some assurance that if blacks move to this area and, and live in these places, that their lives won't be in, in jeopardy. Because that's what's happening now and they only represent four percent of the population.
0: Right. Exactly. I'm back everybody. <laughs> I don't know what happened. <laughs> but I wanna play this <laughs> I'm glad you guys. Uh I wanna um play this clip. Say his name.
7: She killed my nephew. Listen, every pistol, every taser, mm-hmm. it has a safety on it. mm mm-hmm. She saw that she had to release that. I watched that video like everybody else watched that video. That woman held that gun out in front of her for a long damn time, yes, a long damn yes, time. Yes, she did. Yes, she
5: did. My
7: nephew was 20 years old.
5: Tell him that. 20
7: years old. I don't care what nobody got to say about him. He was loved. He was ours. He came from us. My brother and my sisters hurt. Like I said, this is no broken home. This is no broken home. This is 23 years of love.
4: 23.
7: Come on. My nephew was 20. Mm. Mm. Did y'all not see my little great nephew? Did y'all not see that beautiful baby? Mm-hmm. He is fatherless. Mm. Not over a mistake. Over murder. Come mm. on. murder. That's murder. Murder. Say his name. No, say, right. say his name. No, say right. say his name. No, say right. I wear this shirt. And the craziest thing is to find out today that my family has connections to this man, to this family. His girlfriend was a teacher for my nephew.
5: My Lord.
7: My nephew was a lovable young man. His smile. Oh Lord, the most beautiful smile. Y'all took that. Oh. My nephew's blood is on y'all's head. I've never seen my brother hurt like this before. Never. Mm -hmm. (laughs) To hear my brother and to see my sister's pain. Come on. Hold her accountable. Hold her higher than accountable. (laughs) You train people on this stuff. Oh. You train people on
3: this stuff, twenty six years. Twenty six years.
0: Oh my goodness, the trauma it trick is every day, and we have these conversations, and we, and we're sitting here going through the Derek Chauvins trial, and still, we're still being, you know, killed in the streets. And as a mother of sons, it's just, you know, hurtful. I know you guys been talking about it while I was gone, but it's just hurtful. To, you, you have to have these conversations. You can't play the radio loud. You can't wear a hoodie you can't do all the things that kids that's 20 and 18 and 19 should be comfortable and do with doing but because you know your skin color is different and because of confirmative biases and because of qualified immunity and absolute mu- immunity these things continues to happen in our communities so uh, that's why we-
5: Jill. Oh, i'm sorry
0: go ahead attorney man
5: J. Love, I I wanted to say something um, also, you know, black people have generally over the last, let's say 40 years, aligned themselves to the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. is because over the course of the last 40 years, the Democrats have proven their ability to give black people a headache but Republicans have proven their ability and willingness to give us a lobotomy. Mm -hmm. So the problem that we have here is, you have within the Democrats, people that are standing in the way of civil rights legislation um, in terms of uh, George Floyd, which will address qualified immunity. You have Senator Manchin from West Virginia believes that is a non-starter, putting qualified, you know, eliminating qualified immunity. You've got a senator from, uh, I believe, Arizona. uh, uh, I I have to apologize. I can't quite remember her name. But we have people within the party itself that simply refuse to modify that filibuster, okay? And Mm -hmm. so really, I think when in terms of black people, it should never be any permanent, allegiances, just permanent interest. And the problem is the Republicans are in such a far retreat to anything that is even symbolically beneficial to black folks. um, We're we're left dealing with some of the Democrats. And and, and I'm going to tell you, I'm very, very concerned about the federal legislation. Day by day, I think uh, the legislation named after George Floyd is not going to pass. It is not going to get a fair hearing and vote in the senate um and it will never be signed by joe biden so i think now more and more i'm forced to look at a state and local level of redress okay of Mm -hmm. course we want federal standards for police of course we do i have to be very honest i follow the politics and these legislative actions closely and day by day uh my ambitions for meaningful civil rights legislation is less and less because you don't have the Democrats who willing to stand up and modify that damn filibuster. Do
4: Prove me saying? wrong.
5: Pray that I'm wrong. Pray that I'm wrong.
4: You're not wrong. You're not wrong, attorney sure. Hugo Black, my dear brother. You're not wrong. Yes. And i just told a legislator the other day, you better tell your boy he better enter some legislation in For our people, or he's going to have problems here in Michigan. We're not playing. right. And everybody's like, oh, no, you shouldn't vote. I'm not going to keep voting for nothing.
2: Yeah.
4: Right? Because we are a resilient people. We're going to make it no matter who's in office. Uh So if they want our vote, they are going to give us something. I look at President Biden. Now, you know. Even though there has been, and and I I got a rebuke saying there's no divide between the Asian community and Black community, and that's just a lie. It has been for many, many years. And so, but to see President Biden honor our Asian siblings with legislation through an executive order, when you see... What we continue to face as a people, and a few months ago, I heard him say, now y'all just calm down on that defund the police and abolish the police and, and give us a minute. We can't have another minute. That's right. Another minute means another one of us are dead. Yes. And so I, and I'm telling everybody, and I don't care who don't like it, we got to make these Democrats work for us. Or that's it. I'm not right. me personally. I'm not giving them my vote no more unless they do right, right by us, and I mean that.
0: Right, and right. these right. symbolic the gestures, the Kente cloth, and bending on the knee, and you know, they get us all excited. We got a black uh, first black woman, and no, but we're still dying. You know, we have all these symbols, but our kids right. are still being shot in the street.
6: Right. You know, I felt I felt absolutely. Absolutely. You know what? I love this conversation. I felt so betrayed when he did not name a black person to be attorney general with the issues that we have in our country today. (laughs) <laughs> the importance of dismantling structural institutional systemic racism in the criminal justice system. And he named a white man as attorney general. You know that a white man is not gonna be committed to that effort, the same as Eric Holder and Loretta Lich Work. You know this, you know this. And I'm so, I felt so betrayed. I was over him that day and I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. I, we, we are all tired of it. When brother Mac goes to court, I know he faces it every day and, and has to fight it every day. And to That's see right. it in prosecutors, and it's the system. It's not just police. They couldn't get away with anything that they get away with if they weren't pros- if they were allowed through the prosecutor to get away with it or the judges. That's what right. A prosecutor, even, a pro- even if a prosecutor decides to prosecute, what do they do? They end up in front of normally in front of a, a, doing a bench trial because they know the judge isn't going to find them guilty. I'm shocked that Chauvin is it is is had a jury trial I, i was shocked because that's what they do it's the system it's not just one entity and unless we find a way to address that we have to attack it at every single point every single day and and i you know i i agree i know that the Democrats aren't gonna do anything. The Democrats are, there's no difference between them and Republicans. They just do it, they just do it quieter. They're more quiet with it. And they mm-hmm. throw us a bone every once in a while. Republicans just don't care. You know, they are they are bold and out front. So, you know, when you look at Ronald Reagan, his language. Clinton's language wasn't any different than his, than Reagan's. He talked about welfare welfare ref, re re uh, doing the welfare system. What do you think that was about? Welfare mothers. What what do you think that was about? That was about us. And Biden with the with the criminal um uh act in the in 1994 that was about us. Right? So we have to be aware. We have to know who is in our in who we're voting for, and we have to put pressure on them and hold them accountable. Right. Otherwise, I I don't care. I don't give are Democrat or not. If a Republican is acting on my behalf, I'm voting for him.
5: That's oh, that's right. That's right.
2: Right. Yeah.
3: I like to I like to take it um uh, 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 confer with um. Uh, 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 Attorney Payne, on that, but my experience, the reality is, is that sometimes when we choose African Americans, uh, sometimes we let our guard down. We assume just because they look like us that they all have the same um, sectionality, sectionality that we have, and many times we are let down uh, through that. Like here in, in Detroit, Wayne County, our black officials have let us down. Yes. Um, a, a, a De- the Detroit Police Department is just one example. Yes. Coleman Young took and dismantled the uh, 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 the form of stress, but it wind back up. It, it resurrected itself in the form of um, Squad Six. You know, they were no longer taking and going out in the street and killing young black males, but they are still taking and arresting every black body in the city that's available during the time of a crime. Yes. You know, here in Wayne County, in the city of Detroit, when a person was killed to just recent years, and I don't know if they're really abated, but in uh, um, just recent years, um, what they would do if a person was killed, they arrested everybody that was on the set, everybody. It's like, you know, the Palestinian-Israeli relationship that I referenced earlier. They arrest any and every Palestinian in the village, you know. And this is what Detroit police do. And these are black officers, but this behavior precedes blacks being on the force. But they have picked up. They have picked up these tools of racism. This isn't just my claim. This is a formal mayor of the city of Detroit here to take and call the U.S. Justice Department. Because he couldn't get his own black Detroit Police Department to stop it, he asked them to quit arresting the city, of this city, um, and they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. They continued to do it, so he had to take a call to the Justice Department, and the Justice Department came in and filed a lawsuit against the city for its taking and arresting people without any probable cause to actually believe that they had committed a crime. This continued in the city of Detroit. The FBI was looking at the statistics and was saying that, hey, Detroit got a significant um, statistics here. For every homicide that is committed, there are multiple people that are arrested. When they looked into the matter, they come to find out it was witnesses that they were arrested. So here we all sitting here surprised that you have this large number of people coming out of prison every darn week out of Wayne County that was form, I mean, that was formerly convicted for the crime, but are now being vindicated. That are now being vindicated. This is the result of this bad arresting. What I mentioned the fourth amendment violations this is the most significant violation in Black America is our, our, our Fourth Amendment right. That's the that's the most often violated constitutional right we have. They take and arrest witnesses without probable cause, and then you abuse those people. You charge them with the very crime that you that you are supposed to be investigating because you don't have investigative skill despite the large amount of money that you got in your fund, you do not want to do anything but take and interfere with black lives. And that's what they do with the power that they have. They interfere with black lives. And this is what I'm saying. Just We we took, if that would have been white people taking and resting black people like that, we would have been up in arms. We wouldn't have had to wait on the federal government to tell us what was in those statistics. The mayor of Detroit wouldn't have been the only one that was out there saying that this is wrong. And do you know what the mayor did that came right behind him? He rebuked him for it. Took and told him, you don't ever call the federal government on your own damn police department. That's what the mayor said and succeeded Dennis Archer. He took and rebuked him for doing that and who sent his dumbass to prison? (laughs) <laughs> Who sent <the>, this dumbass <laughs> to prison? Okay? See, we got to take it lighten up. This ain't no game.
2: We got to pop black There we second. go. You yeah. yeah. are. You are. You are. You are. You took
3: it. shit right in front of me and told me, we know you didn't do the killing. And we know you know who did. And they asked for my cooperation. And when I told them no, they both looked me in the face, knowing that they didn't have evidence against me as a murderer, and told me we're gonna see that you do a whole lot of time, in, uh, that you do a whole lot of time in prison. And one of those men raised to become the deputy chief of police, I'm talking about James Younger and Curtis McGee. I never had to defend myself in the the parole board against them. I actually mentioned an officer name to a parole board member who happened to be a former law enforcement officer. When I mentioned the name, he took and told me, you ain't got to say no more. He already accepted that I was innocent. He already knew who this man was and what this man's track record was. These are the type of people that have put people to prison, and now I'm told he's a minister in Detroit?
0: Yeah, pastor. <laughs>
3: he's a
0: pastor, not only a minister.
3: <laughs> okay. okay, he got some confession to do. he got some action for forgiveness, not for me. He needs to do it with his Lord. He can do all the lying he wants. But, but his, the legacy that he left there in that squad six is still evident right now today. When you see them people coming out of prison, that's a formal unit that he took and led as a black man. That's a formal unit. And his partner is educating police departments all around the United States. He's all over in Chicago and other places. You see what's going on in Chicago? Remember the large number of gang members that Mm -hmm. they arrested? Well, I'm a formal gang member. He got a history of that. He got a history of that. I'm a formal gang member. And that's what they used to prosecute me. Not the fact that I killed anybody, not the fact that I incited anybody to kill anybody, but the fact that they knew that I was a formal game member, they used that as a Trojan force to run for a trial of first degree murder. And I served 43 years of my life for it. You know, I'm not proud of what I was, I'm not proud of the behavior. That I did and I accept responsibility. The person that he used as a star witness in my case, I vindicated the guy. The guy had been accused of committing a crime, and I stood up and said he didn't commit that crime. I committed that crime. That's why I was in prison when the police were able to come and find and sit down and talk with me. I was in prison serving time for a crime that I accepted responsibility for, and they are convinced. The, uh, the person that I vindicated, they convinced that person to testify against me. And this person was so abused by them during my trial, he tried to kill himself during the court break. So if you think he's a good officer, you, you, just look at the history. I'm not just arguing my case. Look at his history.
0: Yeah, when we uh, have these conversations about this, uh, when, uh, like what Rashida said the other day, and then they all up in arms and upset. But you have a history of doing things to people. You have a history of wrongfully convicting people and killing people. And then you upset when somebody challenged your your police agencies, your departments because of your past and present behaviors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's sickening. Um, just real quick,
4: I wanted to interject and say also we want to remember, and we haven't even heard his name, on Monday And DeKalb. Del, how do you say that? DeKalb, um, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, Matthew Caddock was murdered by the police. The police said that he lunged at them two times. The neighbor said he ran away from them and jumped through his bedroom window, and they shot and killed him. Matthew Caddock,
2: say his name. Matthew. Kaddock. How long did this happen? How, how, when did this happen?
4: It happened on Monday. That
2: is so crazy.
4: It happened on no, Monday. Was- Deontay on Sunday, Matthew on Monday. Uh, the other young man on Tuesday or Wednesday You know, I was thinking I was being Funny yesterday, but I said The name, the meaning of this song gonna change Remember that song, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday Wednesday, Thursday, yeah, that was A song that meant something else But right now it's meaning those are the days They're killing us,
2: every day mm-hmm. Every day Yeah, it's it's Yeah we're gonna, we're gonna have to be like
0: in South Carolina When the uh, the young gentleman they just just pile up in the streets. <laughs>
4: mm-hmm. <laughs> no, we're going to be in the streets tomorrow.
0: Yeah,
2: <laughs> for sure. Oh, yeah, now, hey, time is right. You know, unfortunately, it's not getting any better, but I wanted to say really quick, go back to um, uh, some of the things um, Baraka was saying and um, uh, this pain was saying as well. Oh, that's that color thing in terms of color and, and that is it is not to see representation and multiple placement, but in multiple places but in the field of criminal justice it's about if you say the right thing doing the right thing because I have seen so many black people on level go and say the most craziest things and do the most craziest things that's not good for us mm-hmm. um there's cities that's primarily black, where it's the city government is not benefiting black people. Um, you know, you guys practice Detroit. We let's look at Warren. Let's look at um, other cities. I mean, Warren is it's 70% black, but it's not benefiting the black people there, and it is very racist. So, and there's black politicians there too, and it is still very racist. So, um, color is only one thing. And in terms of, you have to look at what's right at the end of the day, but in terms of politics and Democrat, Republican, all of that, in my mind, it's like these could flip at any time. And we see how even Republicans with the last election, with how Trump changed the Republican Party, how some of them were debating whether or not they want to start a whole new party. Like, it was proof that it changed any time. So it's like, I'm not siding with no party just because I'm not. I'm independent. I go with what feels right. You go back and look at um, Lincoln. When he signed the Emancipation Proclamation, he did it because it was beneficial to him, not because he just had right. slavery. That's then right. if you look at LBJ, um, right. he, he signed the uh, Civil Rights Act That's of 1964, Voting Rights Act of 65, because it was politically convenient. That's and right. It's very racist and violent behind the scenes. He didn't do those things because he agreed with black people. He actually went on record to say, I'll have black people vote in Democrats for the next 200 years. And look where we are now. So you just have to keep these things in mind. Like, you know, we just got to watch our back. Like a Democrat, Republican, at black we got to watch our back and do what's right. At the end of the day, things change the us.
1: Yeah, I, I think also that economically we don't take a view from the country standpoint. And when we talk about workforce, when we talk about people maximizing the workforce, not just the labor, but also um, intelligence and, and putting, um, you know, having collective and working and vibrant communities, which we could have, but because of racism we don't have so they they're looking at a very the economics that they're looking at is not really a a global view. i I believe that uh, when I talk to to some others that come from other countries and and we're looking very ignorant right now because racism is ignorant and it's costly and it's costing us as a nation, but until the people in leadership see the cost, and that we're 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 at an we're we're gonna we're at a disadvantage because of how we treat one another. Yeah, and we somehow we've got to. The only way to get them to change is they have to see politically that is going to help them too. Mm-hmm. And right now they they they're in the dark.
0: You're right, Tia. Um so when we come to um mm-hmm. so everything is energy, right? So we have yeah. to do the work of coming together ourselves on the outside. And that's why we had to use our platforms, that's why we have to speak. <laughs> That's why we had to protest. That's why we had to keep doing what we're doing because if we keep waiting for someone to come and save us, <laughs> we're going to be continue to wait. Nobody is coming. <laughs> 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 coming. Nobody is coming. We have to save ourselves. We yeah. have to be the ones that we're yeah. looking for. Amen. And you
4: have to stop praying and thinking that prayer Going to fix some of this stuff We look, looking for God to do something God saying I gave you the power You do it What, what you saying exactly. say God going to make a way Yeah he's going to make a way Because you're going to get your tail out there and do what he anointed You to do
0: and then we'll be good Right
6: that's right That's absolutely
0: right <laughs> But Fred have to say where there's People there's power Yes <laughs> We can't keep sitting back here thinking that um, the Democrats is going to save us. Some of us really think they're going to save us. Mm-hmm. Republicans think, you know, they're going to save us. Nobody is going to save you because, you know, and Trishay, we and Tia, we had this conversation often about reforms and dismantling. And dis- I'm for dismantling and disrupting. Mm-hmm. And Turtie Payne, she said that she's dismantling. We had to dismantle <laughs> these mindsets. We were talking earlier, I think Edward was talking about how it's Black people also that's the problem. It's not always. Mm-hmm. Oh, white people. people! Oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> Another conversation, y'all. Yes, we have black people that's in the way. Can we do a
4: whole show about that, please? Oh, I'm just asking. God. Okay. Because, yes. There's a book. I
0: mean, <laughs> there's a book. You know, um,
3: we the made it. the Clintons. We the made the Clintons to black people, and, Right. Um, we, uh, as it was mentioned here. Uh, their policies um in terms of the welfare policy harmed the black women and children that more than anybody their harm of black women and children is still being felt they took in turned a woman that grew up and lived all her life as a white woman they turned her into a black welfare queen okay that woman was a she was biracial but she had identified as a white person all her life okay and she took and exploited Welfare because she learned that she can take and use um uh, 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 different safety nets as a black person, identifying as a black person. She took advantage of that and they took and literally painted her as a black person. But that woman didn't live her life mm-hmm. as a black person. Mm-hmm. But the point, but that's neither here nor there. I'm not trying to demonize her or demonize anyone that might be a mix of race or marriage. The point is. Is that they took and exploited a race issue just as equal as the Republicans would do. Mm-hmm. And in fact, they took and borrowed, they took and borrowed the Republicans' welfare agenda and made it their own, the same way they did with the crime bill. They took and borrowed a crime bill from the Republicans and made it their damn own. And we allowed that to happen and millions of our men and women, hundreds of thousands of African-American men and women were put in prisons throughout this country. The net result today is is that there are more black people in prison today. There are more black people in prison today than there were blacks or plantations during slavery. And a lot of this has come through our support of democratic administrations. A lot of this has come through through the support of democratic administrations. So I'm not saying that, hey, I'm going to run out and vote for one of these damn Republicans. All I'm taking and trying to point out is is that they are a damn twin party. They are a twin party. And whatever suits them to get elected is what the hell they're going to do.
0: Yes. We had a city that was um, uh, was Democrat ran for forever, uh, almost. Mm -hmm. And you got all these wrongful convictions coming out of this county in this city. Come on now. We have to start like, we get all uh, uh, distracted by the glitz and glams and what people say and they speak real good and they, you know. <laughs> and then after it's over, they do nothing. They do nothing and our families are suffering, our kids are suffering. Our communities are suffering. We When is enough enough? So we have all these people that look like us. Our skin folks is not our, our skin folks is not our kin folks. They mm-hmm. look like us, but they're not about us. I don't know what they're about, but we have to. <laughs> I don't know. We're going to have to do something different. Doing the same thing over and over again is called insanity. Mm-hmm. We do the show because
2: there's some organizations that fall in line with that not doing enough and once were the, the organizations trying to change stuff, but now they've turned into those moderate, don't want to safety fund, community policing like that. They've turned into that. Um, and these are Black organizations that have. That's a whole nother yeah, <laughs> it's, it's conversation.
6: Right. You know, I think that one of the mistakes that we make is looking at people. Um mm-hmm. uh, and and paying attention to people. The system was established a long time ago and you know how systems work. Systems may be attacked but then they adjust back to what they originally were supposed to do. The Constitution established our system in the United States. The Constitution said that we're three-fifths of a human being. The Constitution, even though the Supreme Court made new rulings all along, every time we made progress, the system went back and adjusted to do what it was originally supposed to do. So when you start looking at Democrats and Republicans, they change places all the time, but they do what the system expects for them to do. And we keep getting confused about, well, maybe if we march like in the 50s and we march and get them to let us go to school with them, they'll see that we're really human beings. We're not evil and we're not less than a human being. Maybe they'll accept us. No, the system does what it's supposed to do, which is revert back to its original intent and its original intent was to keep us down. Every time we got a every time the constant we got a new right, they destroyed the right or they adjusted it or they amended it so that our rights were amended right out right back to what they were before. I mean, we we got the vote, but we don't have the vote because they're going to put they're going to take the boxes out of our neighborhood and they're going to say no more souls to the polls and they're going to make it as difficult as they can for us. Uh we have we have rights but they they don't, we don't have any rights that a white man is going to respect because of the system. So we have to start collecting data. We have to show what the system is doing to us. And then we have to start holding them accountable and changing the system, the system, not the people. The culture and the climate of police departments, they, they know what they're supposed to be doing, but they don't do it. And it doesn't matter whether you're black or white cop, they, they operate the way the system expects them to operate. So we can't be paying attention to people. We can't be looking at color. We must focus on the system and the culture and the climate and changing
0: yes
4: let the church say amen
6: amen and faith amen. without works is dead yeah
3: <laughs> it, it, it's not sufficient it's not sufficient that any of us do a job for that profession. might like say whether we are attorneys or whether we are judges or prosecutors or social workers As African-Americans, we have a responsibility to learn about the history of that particular institution. We have to learn about that institution. I believe that if most African-Americans that are are, are police, I believe that they would take and have been properly um, educated about the history of policing in this country, that they started off as slave um, catchers, that they would see their role different in terms of the the historical uh, uh, place there. They would see themselves and their responsibility to their community differently. They wouldn't pick up Jim Crow tools and, and, and execute them against their own community. I don't think a black social worker would do that if a black social worker was aware of the history of black social working, you know, where they were taking and separating the black man and woman. You know, they were taking and expelling the black man out of the home in order for the woman and the, and, and the child to be able to benefit from the safety net. They wouldn't do that if they understood history, you know. And this is the case even with prosecutors. If a black prosecutor understood that, hey, these laws, these, these Jim Crow laws, were meant to take and deny your full participation. Right. You know, we got we got we got um, statutes that was meant to take and delude the black voice on a jury. It was meant to take. And allowed that if you were on a jury as a black person, that whites can then take and say, even though you voted to acquit, we are the majority. It ain't no uh, uh, um unanimous verdict in this case, okay? Like what we're talking about right now with the with the, with the uh, um the political parties, where they have to have this super majority. Where they created the same type of system with jury verdicts to exclude black voices when blacks began to serve on Jews. Because there was one time when blacks were only allowed to testify against themselves, nobody else. You couldn't testify against a white person. You can only take a stand and testify against yourself. They had that kind of law in the Sharia, but it's only allowed against people who are liars, against people who are considered to be deviants. Those peoples are only allowed to testify against themselves and they are not allowed to give credible evidence or witnessing against decent people in the
6: society.
3: Never do they take in in the Sharia or any other law in the country or in the world that I know of where they have a law where they forgive you as a person because of your race and your nationality to be able to testify against somebody else. Well, that was the type of law that we had in this country. And we went from that when they began to allow African-Americans to participate, to dilute your voice. And we have black judges that would give jury instructions and, and enter in those type of jury instructions because they didn't know the history, which shows that they are miseducated. They may be educated as an attorney to the extent that they want them to know what attorneys supposed to know, how to operate within the system. But how to protect yourself in the system, you don't know. You don't know. And this is important that we know this. We don't want a judge getting off the bench and then learning this history. That, oh, I use laws that came directly from Jim Crow and I use it against my own people. How shame am I? You know, because your daughter is going to realize that Your son is going to realize that when he or she go to law school behind you and they become more educated than you were, they're going to to realize what you did and they're going to have some shame about your game. Yeah, that's
0: right. So um, I just want to say, the master tools will never dismantle the master's house.
6: <laughs>
0: Man. 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 I like we, that. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> so we must start changing our mindsets. We must um, disrupt this, the thinking that we have, that we've been programmed. That's why we're here on Fridays at six o'clock because we're here to disrupt those mindsets. We're here to show a new way, a new way of thinking. I love everybody, right? But I, I love black people. I'm a black person and I'm gonna, you know, stand up for black people. We just had Asians um, people a few weeks ago, you know, they were protesting in the streets and everything, you know, and we were with them, but we had to give laser focus on us, what we need to be doing as our community, education, school, um, health, medical, wellness, all of these things that we need to be uh, uh, focused on so we can, um, like um, uh, Attorney Payne said, we can take this information and um, collect data and change laws and policies ourselves. We don't need them. That's right. (laughs) We don't need them. We can do this ourselves. Mm -hmm. But we have to be willing to step outside of the programming, open enough to know that we have the power to do it, to make change happen. So, Ramitia, I want to come back to you because I want you to give us some tips um, that we can use um, as we go throughout this weekend. As we go into next week and until we get back next Friday. What we can use to um to just be um you know, not to you know, we're gonna be angry, but to just, you know, bring us back to our center.
1: Yeah, yeah, you you know, um, I'm glad you asked that because sometimes we can get I know myself, I can get so angry that I I I want to just start from the top. And I want all the people gone like now, you know. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's not rational thinking. So I always bring it back to what can I do right now? And everybody just take a breath. Mm-hmm. And we have to learn how to just breathe. Take moments where we just breathe. And I know that the spirit within you will guide you to the next thing that you're supposed to do for the next moment. Mm -hmm. The key is what can we do now? What can I do in my own area? What can I do in my family? What can I do to uplift uplift the people? Because not only are we miseducated, but we are traumatized and our self-esteem has plummeted as a people. So we got to be about uplifting too mm-hmm. and educating and being thankful for All the milestones. Because sometimes we'll forget. We'll get so lost into the past four or five hundred years and then we forget forget. that we made some successes, that we have been successful. I was talking to uh, Attorney Payne's daughter earlier and how she and my mother were civil rights activists. And growing up with a woman you you don't know when you're going to have to march. We had to march with our mothers. We had to be there. My mother was on the front line of of the gangs in Detroit, bringing the leaders together and I was at the meeting when when you When you pass these things down and you honor it just know that we're making headway it's not like it was and i believe that in this era right now we're going to triumph in many ways Mm -hmm. because the climate is ready the time is now and we are not taking no for an answer
0: anymore Yes. (laughs) Yes. Thank you.
2: Uh,
0: Trisha, tell us about tomorrow. Tomorrow we are coming
4: together. Um, It was an honor, you know, of George Floyd and everyone having so many emotions behind that. And we wanted to come together um, so that we could build solidarity, unite, and channel our energy, right? Because anger is a real thing, right? But I'm challenging us all, instead of just being angry, don't just get angry, get busy, right? And so when we come together, we, we love to march, but we give marching orders. Marching orders are just encouraging people to get busy, get in their local government, do the things that need to be done to affect change for real. Jay, you said it best. And the marijuana uh, uh, industry proved it. They wanted marijuana on that ballot. They got out there, got the signatures, they needed to pass it and they got it and the people voted it in. We can do the same thing. We do not need them. We just have to unite. and And part of that is gonna be tomorrow. Uh, We're going to meet at 1 p.m. at 4500 Washtenaw Ave. And I believe that's Ann Arbor, Michigan, 48108. We'll be right there in the parking lot, um, front parking lot by Ichiban and Flagstar. Um, But we're just asking you to come out again. You know, some people say, I ain't no protester. Look, all of this is a part. We need all hands on deck. And we would love to see you there too. And I got my sisters coming to lead the front line with me tomorrow, <laughs> so I'm so excited about that. That would be Jay Alley, I, I haven't talked to Tia, but I did invite Tia to lead with us. And um, Michelle Pearson from um, Michigan Liberation, Paris Jones from Inkster, Michigan, a local activist. Mm-hmm. But we have some strong black women leading that line tomorrow, right? So we want you all to come out and witness this power, stand in solidarity because we're gonna get some people said, well you know this change you know I'm not gonna see it in my lifetime well you declare that over your own life mm-hmm. I'm gonna <laughs> get some pain while I'm in the land of the living and that is yeah. what it is. So we hope you yeah. have that same mindset too and come fight with us.
0: Right well, turn your pain into take your pain and turn it into purpose. Yes. That's that's what I did. You know it was so painful when I was going through with Gerard but I turned that pain into purpose. And that's why I'm here with you guys. So I want to thank you, Attorney Pay. We're going to have to have you back because we, we didn't even talk about the book. <laughs> we didn't even get to the book.
6: I'd okay. love to come back. Thank you so much for having me. I, I adore all of you. I, I'm, I'm so comfortable with you. I, I, uh, and I'm so proud of all of you. Gosh, you're awesome. And Allie, you do what you need to do to come home alive. We need you. <laughs> don't be out there pissing those people
2: off. Oh, I'm not.
4: <laughs> Jay, you're going to have to have Attorney Payne yeah. back on and leave us off. You know we all talk too much.
6: <laughs>
2: um, no, you don't. Go am the switch.
0: I love you guys. So uh, is there anything else, uh, Attorney Hugo Matt? would you like to leave us with?
5: No, I can. Can everybody hear me? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm I'm sorry. Um, I just want to say I'm so proud to be a part of this group. You know, um, I've gotten so close to all of you. Some of you I knew before, like Trisha. I didn't know Allie. I didn't know Tia. Uh met my sister in, in law now, attorney payne, and uh, you know, the the inventor of Mac Street, That's Edward it. Sanders, you know, and uh and our and our fearless leader Jay Love. You know, you are quite the celebrity. You all of y'all, I'm 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 gonna start getting autographs because it's gonna be worth a lot of money one day. So so, so so I'm just proud to be here. Y'all stay covered in the blood of Jesus Christ and be safe out there. Greater is he in us than he was in the world.
0: Yes. Allie, you'd like to leave us with anything? Yeah, I think mine would well be more simple. Um, keep fighting and know your rights. Know your rights. And the right to remain silent. Our <laughs> <laughs> exactly. main one, quit talking. Just speak to my attorney. as per my uh, information from my attorney zip (laughs) i thank you guys i thank everybody for joining us we'll be back next week hopefully attorney Payne, if she's not busy she can come back with us and we can talk about the book we can also talking about locking up our own um, next week there's another book um i suggest a lot of people just check it out it's talking about DC, but that's a reflection of Detroit and other areas of the of the United States. Um we, we're going to talk about that next week as well. I love you guys. See ya, see you guys tomorrow. And um see everyone next week. Thank you for turning a moment into a movement.
5: Amen. <laughs> love you all. Bye-bye. God bless everybody. Stay safe out there.
6: God bless you.